no surprise. Come up from there, and there's a guy standing on a stool <laughs> screaming about you going to India. <laughs> well, you know, I've heard other stories like that, so not about him, but uh, there's a story about John MacArthur and R.C. Sproul being locked in a hotel room with some other men. They were discussing a document called the ECT, which I believe would cause a great deal of confusion in the world about the gospel, which it has. But nonetheless, I believe MacArthur and Sproul were on the right side. And apparently, as they were discussing with the other group how things were going, R.C., who's another short guy, became pretty agitated, and he jumped up on the table and was pointing out at those guys, telling them how they were wrong and how they were going to send many to hell because they were confusing uh, the gospel of Jesus Christ. John MacArthur didn't do that, but uh, nonetheless, I think the point was made. So, you know, <laughs> it's okay. I don't know if I should stand on that. I don't think I'll need to, but... Anyway, let's uh, open your Bibles to Ephesians 4, and then we will go to the Lord in prayer and continue to ask for his blessing on our time together this evening. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we are grateful. You have been, as we often, Father, remark, so good to us in so many ways. Father, you've been so good to us at times, it is difficult, Father, for us to really, truly recognize the blessings that you have blessed us with. Because it is, it is so great and overwhelming. And on the one hand, too often we, we don't look carefully enough at what we have, what we possess. So we pray, Lord, that you help us to be able to take stock and to be able to look at our lives, to look at how you have blessed us. <clears throat> to consider, Lord, how we can, to a greater degree, bless others. And Father, we have also been greatly blessed by, as we live in this country, we all have a copy of your word. And Lord, we do have a great love for your word, though we know, Lord, at times we can fall into almost a superstitious kind of affection for the Bible. And we pray that you will not allow that to happen, that we would have a, a deep devotion and commitment to what the scripture says, that we would desire to respond to your word, to live it out wherever we are and to do whatever it is you would have us to do. And so this evening, as we continue our way through the book of Ephesians, we pray, as always, that you would grant us understanding of your word. But we also pray, Lord, that we would be challenged and changed by the scripture. The Lord, as we continue to feed on the word of God, Father, we would become much more like your son Christ in every way. Also, Lord, we know that you are here with us because you have promised us that you would always be with us, and for that we are grateful. And so, again, we thank you, and we do ask these things in Christ's name. Amen. Ephesians 4, Paul writes, beginning in verse 20, but you have not so learned Christ. Remember, he's already kind of talked about how they were before and how some of them have kind of slipped into living like they were before. But you have not so learned Christ, if indeed you have heard him and have been taught by him as the truth is in Jesus, that you put off concerning your former conduct the old man which grows corrupt according to the deceitful lust and be renewed in the spirit of your mind, and that you may put on the new man which was created according to God in true righteousness and holiness. Last week as we began to deal with this passage, we indicated that no matter what our experience of conversion is, 
it is important for us to know and to acknowledge that God has changed our hearts. Formerly, we did not know Christ. Now we do, even though it's imperfect. Formerly, if we maintained an outward veneer of virtue, we lived for ourselves. Now we live for Christ, and now we live to know him and to serve him. Formerly, we were corrupted by the evil desires of sin that deceived us into thinking that they would bring us fulfillment. Now we are new creatures in Christ, living for righteousness and holiness, which come from the truth that is in Jesus. In one sense, our conversion to Christ is a lifelong process of renewal. We should be able to see the distinct difference between the old person that you were and the new person that you are, that you now are in Christ. I've mentioned before in various messages how there is this movement, I guess you would call it, a, a teaching in the church, primarily in America, though it is spreading, where the desire, at least said by some, is to emphasize the grace of God, which is a, that's a good thing. The problem is, is the emphasis on, on that comes out to be that we don't need to be concerned at all with how we live, period. Because for us to make any statement about how we are to be as Christians smacks either of legalism or some kind of a uh, works-oriented drive towards salvation. And that does exist, but that's not what Paul is talking about here. Look at verses 25 through 28, which is we're going to spend this week, next week, and the week after on this. He says, therefore, putting away lying, let each one of you speak truth with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your wrath, nor give place to the devil. Let him who stole steal no longer, but rather let him labor, working with his hands what is good, that he may have something to give him who has need. Now, I want you to know that this idea, this, this teaching out there, that, we, that it doesn't really matter if we live in obedience to what God has said. They don't always say it that way, but that it ends up being that. That is a unique phenomenon in Western churches. You don't find that really in churches in the Philippines and in Indonesia and in China. No one's discussing that. Every single person there has an understanding and there's an expectation, the normal expectation, that no matter how you lived your life before, whether you were in great sin or you weren't in what we would call great sin, that your life will be radically transformed by the gospel of Christ because before you were spiritually dead and now you're spiritually alive and you'll be different. I know I've told you this story before. It's been several years, so I'll give you the short version. There was a man who, uh, I think the Iron Curtain was still up and he had, was a pastor in Romania. And he had been trying for a long time to get out of the country so that he could get some more education and then go back. He was known by the Soviets as being a Christian. He'd been arrested several times because he was a Christian, which was illegal. He'd been tortured a few times. They wanted him to be quiet. He refused. And so finally, uh, why they didn't kill him is only because God is stronger than communism and spared his life. He was finally allowed out of the country. Then, of course, when he was allowed out of the country, they wouldn't let him back in. And so he was spending his time translating as many good Christian books as he could into the Romanian language so that his people could have access to these things that we often take for granted. And he was doing a radio interview with John MacArthur. And so John was talking to him about how this man came to know Christ and the work that he was doing in Romania. 
And then they got into talking about what happened to individuals who became Christians. And the man talked about the fact that when a man becomes a Christian because of how communism worked, uh, that man would no longer uh, ever see any kind of increase in his pay. He would never be promoted. I mean, everything just stopped dead. There would even be certain stores he would be unable to, uh, to shop at. Life would become very, very difficult. So John asked this question. So what if someone becomes a Christian and they decide to keep it a secret? And on radio, there's one thing that you're not supposed to ever do. Dead air. And there's a real long pause. Just silence. And then the Romanian pastor said, what do you mean? Keep it a secret. And so John explained again what he meant by that. And the Romanian pastor said, there's no such thing as that. How is it even possible? And so the John said, well, what if the man decided he became a Christian to say nothing verbally? And then this man said this. I'll never forget this. I was listening to a tape of it. And the Romanian pastor said, what we believe in Romania is that if a man or woman becomes a believer in Jesus Christ, and even if they never open their mouth, they will be so obvious to all those around them that within three days, all will know that they are a Christian. And so John asked him something about three days. Why three days? And so he said, well, it's bad theology, but it took God three days to raise Jesus from the dead. So if the Lord is true in your life, it'll take three days to raise you from the dead so that everyone will know that you are saved. He says, so that is impossible. And so then... John MacArthur asked him this question. He said, well, he says, can I ask you this? He says, please feel free to say whatever you want. I'm not looking for anything specific, but you've been in America now for a few few years. What do you think about the state of the church? And he said, my people pray for you daily because we are convinced that you have compromised the gospel of Christ in many ways. And so we pray for you. And then John asked him, is there anything specific that you pray? And the Romanian pastor said, some of us believe. Now, what may be best is that the Christians have all of their rights taken away and they begin to be persecuted. For then they would depend upon God as we do. And they will experience and see the hand of God in ways they never imagined. And that would be wonderful. And then John MacArthur said, I think we've said enough. Let's pray. <laughs> and then I believe, because I didn't hear the, the prayer, but uh, a friend of mine told me that then when, uh, they both prayed, and the Romanian pastor on the radio prayed in Los Angeles that the Lord would see to it that the rights of believers would be taken away. <laughs> so perhaps that will happen one day, perhaps not. As so we hear when you look at these verses, Paul makes it very clear and now begins to do some very specific issues about what we are to become, what we are to be as believers And so he says, because of what Christ has done for us, because of the gospel, he says, therefore, put away lying. Let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. That's the New King James. The New American Standard says, therefore, laying aside falsehood, speak truth, each one of you, with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. Paul is transitioning from the principles and precepts of the faith to the personal practice of our faith. He provides a list, really, of specific miracles, I guess you would say, which should mark the new clothes of every new man in Christ. 
He moves to very specific applications. He goes, as one old preacher said, from preaching to meddling, listing very specific sins that characterize the life of the old man, the non-believer, the pagan, the corresponding to the corresponding godly behavior of the new man. When he says to put away or laying aside means literally to put or take something away from its normal location. So the idea here is that it's normal for the unbeliever to lie. It is normal for an unbeliever to live in falsehood. And that's expressed in many different ways. It was used, the word that's used here is literally used of runners who participate in the Olympic Games who would literally take off their clothes running nearly completely naked in the stadium so that nothing would hinder them in the race so they could win. Figuratively, the idea is to cease doing what you are accustomed to doing. Therefore, it seems to be very difficult for us to stop doing something that we are accustomed to doing. And he's saying, stop doing it. What he's saying is, throw it off like you would dirty, foul-smelling clothes. Be done with it. In fact, he calls for us to have a once-and-for-all definite concluding action of just ridding ourselves of that. Stripping off is to be done at once and for good. We then as believers are to lay aside every form of dishonesty. Remember that when we were speaking of this, A, this is the believer, so you're not doing this to get saved. You are saved by the grace of God. You are loved by God. You're not doing this to remain loved by God. You're not doing this to remain in God's good graces. We are fully accepted by God. There is no obligation for us to, that we, where we have to do anything to keep our salvation. At the same time, there's an obligation that's still placed upon us. That's our responsibility. In other words, we have, there's this unconditional covenant. God's going to save us by his grace. I believe that I am saved. There is nothing that I do to get that. There's nothing I do to keep that. But that doesn't mean there's no obligations. I am obligated. In the same way that when we give birth to our children, most individuals assume there is a natural obligation of the child to the parent and a natural obligation of the parent to the child to love each other, to care for them, to watch over them, to respect them, to honor them. That's just, so I didn't demand that my children obey me so they could remain my children. I never said to them, you know, I'm getting tired of this. Two weeks you've been doing this. One more time, you're no longer my children. I will hate you. We don't do that. Why? Because we, are, we, we believe, we state, nothing will ever dismantle or disrupt or cause me to stop loving my child. I can be angry with them. I can be severely disappointed with them. A whole list of things, but I'll always love them. I will always want to do what is best for them. No matter what they do, I will never disown them, period. Though, they can still do many things. There's still that, the obligation is still there. So we have this obligation to God. Because we love God, we, we want this. Remember, I've, I've mentioned before that when it comes as Christians, that when, when and I know this is true for me, I, I wasn't always like this, but when I hear someone expounding on the Word of God, I want to understand the Word of God better. At the same time, I also do want this. If in the expounding of the word of God, they end up teaching, explaining things that I find myself falling short in in my life, I, I want that. As a Christian, I want to be told where I am off. I want to be told where I am in error. I don't like that. I don't want to be wrong. I don't want my sin pointed out, but I do. I desperately do, because I want to get rid of it. The same way, it should be this way our whole married life, but it's usually this way at least the first three years. 
First three years, the husband and the wife have a disagreement. Her feelings are hurt, and he wants to know, what have I done? And she won't tell him. And it drives him nuts, because at that point, first three years, he really does want to know, because he wants to stop whatever it is. Something happens after that. Year nine, it's, he doesn't really care if she tells him or not. And if she does, he's, oh, yeah, well, I figured you'd probably examine me that way. No, that shouldn't be that way. But the idea is, is that you want to know because you want to correct it. Because why? You love and care for that person. And so this is what he's talking about. So lay aside every form of dishonesty. That includes the shading of truth, exaggerating, the failure to keep a promise, the betrayal of a confidence There is no such thing as a little white lie. I know we have jokes about little white lies, but at the same time, a little white lie is no joke. For those who are positionally holy and blameless, that's believers, the believer's word is to be totally trustworthy. When we say yes, we mean yes. When we say no, we mean no. There was a disturbing book that came out several years ago. It's called The Day That America Told the Truth. It states that 91% of Americans, or those who are in this study, lie on a regular basis. Of the people who were interviewed, and it was a large number, 92% said the main reason for their lying was to save face. That percentage may be low. We don't want to be seen as being wrong. We don't want to be seen in a lot of things. And so we'll lie. We'll shade the truth. We'll exaggerate, we'll hold back, or whatever it happens to be. 98% said the reason they told lies was so as not to offend. That might be high too. I, I think some people don't mind offending others. But anyway, that, that's, that's what goes on. There was another survey of 20,000 middle school-aged kids and high school-aged kids. 92% admitted that they lied to their parents in the previous year. I, I try not to laugh out loud. Every now and then I'll have a parent say to me, well, all I know is my child would never lie. And you're not gullible in the least bit. Your child has been lying to you since they were probably five, maybe before. You've seen the videos, we laugh at them. The five-year-old, when the mama asks, did you eat the donut with the sprinkles? And they're all over his face. No. With a straight face, he says no. And we laugh because it's cute, kind of, but then in another sense, it's, it's not really. It come, because it comes so naturally. 73% said they told lies every week, which is astounding because that 73% actually is they're aware of it. It's not like they just lie out of habit and they go, oh, I lost count. I don't think I lie that much. 73%, yeah, I, every week I lie. Despite all these admissions, 91% of all those who were responding said that they were satisfied with their own ethics and character. Their conscience was very insensitive to their own sin. Now, you're probably thinking, well, yeah, but most of these people were pagans. And so they developed a separate category of those who go to church. And they found this amazing thing, and this is how it's stated. Church attendance makes little difference in people's ethical views and behavior with respect to lying, cheating, pilfering, and not reporting theft. It's amazing. 
Lies often go undercover, such as exaggeration. You stretch the story a bit to make yourself look better or to evoke sympathy. I've had the unfortunate opportunities at times in counseling to call people out on some things. Not wanting to do that, but in the privacy of counseling, sometimes it's a little easier because at least if they feel embarrassment, they're only embarrassed in front of me, not others. But people say things like this. I just have such a bad headache. It's a very simple statement. Maybe you have a headache, maybe you don't. It's not a migraine. It's not that bad. But it's a very easy thing to fall into, to get out of whatever it is you want to get out of. My head hurts. Really? Is that bad? Of course, I'm often viewed as being very uncaring. Uh, my view is, yeah, but you go to work with that thing hurting that way. But you won't talk to your husband or you won't talk to your wife. Or you won't go to church, but you'll go to work. So how bad does it hurt? Individuals who exaggerate some kind of thing going on with them, physically or whatever, to get people to feel sorry for them, to manipulate the situation. Believers don't have to do that because we, we should know who we are in Christ. Why would we, who individuals who understand and know that we are fully accepted by the God of creation, manipulate people so we can somehow get their sympathies or get them to like us? And we do that a lot. A lot. There's nothing wrong with wanting people to like you. Just to want that, it's not bad. But to manipulate others or to allow that thought or that desire to dictate how you live your life and make decisions is beyond me. Because that's exactly what the world does. And we're supposed to be different. You don't have to dress like a monk to be different in the world. Just be honest. Don't try to manipulate other people. Be honest in every way. In fact, I've, I try to do this because, you know, we, it can be, you can lie out of habit. There's all kinds of things we can do. But I try to do this, and sometimes people will ask me certain questions, and I'll say, okay, wait, stop. Don't ask that unless you really want to know the answer because I'm not going to lie. Now, the most difficult thing I've ever done before was I was talking to a family where uh, this man's wife, I was talking to the husband, uh, the, his grown-up children were not in the room. She had just passed away. She was not a believer. He was not a believer. They didn't go to church. They didn't even pretend. I was asked by somebody else to do the funeral. I was willing to do that. She passed away. I'm talking to him about the funeral, and, and I knew I, was, I had to bring this up. I had to because I have no idea what he was expecting me to say. I don't know what kind of ministers he's ever met, but I have heard ministers in funerals lie. I've heard that. I've heard them I've heard them kind of lie, where they kind of dance around certain things, so you come to certain conclusions, but they don't say certain things, as if somehow they're off the hook. They're not. But I've also heard them just say things that are just, they know, they know it's wrong. And so I'm talking to this man, and so I said, Lord, help me. And I said, now look, I, 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 said, I started getting to someone talking, you know, I'm going to the funeral, da 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 I, went through. I said, now I want you to know something. I don't lie. And I'm not going to say things that I think or that I know aren't true. And of course, I'm talking about, I'm not going to say she's in a better place. I'm not going to say she's in heaven. Now, I'm not going to say she is 
rotting in hell. I'm not going to say that, but I'm not going to even hint or indicate at the other. I didn't quite say it like that, but it was close. Thank goodness, he said, because he just didn't care. He said, well, I don't expect you to lie. I said, well, good, because I'm not going to. And so it was a short funeral, and it was one of the few funerals I've done where I never mentioned the person who died. Never. And oftentimes when I do funerals for non-believers, I almost beg someone from the family to do the eulogy. Because what am I going to say? I can't say they're a good person. I can say they've done some good things. But I cannot say they're a good person. That goes against what the scripture says. I'm not only violating my conscience, I'm violating the truth of the word of God. Sad to say, there are many people, not just pastors, who sometimes are in a very unfortunate situation. We, we, we say stuff like that. We don't know what else to say, and so we say something untrue. A coworker dies. No one thinks they were a Christian. You know they weren't. And you may, like someone else, say, well, you know, their suffering is done. Well, actually, it's not. It's only just begun. So don't say that. Now, you don't have to say, I can't believe so-and-so died. You wouldn't believe how bad they have it now. I don't know if it would be the appropriate way to say that. Maybe in private to someone if you're having a deep discussion. But you don't have to say the other. You can remain silent. Others will notice. They may ask you later, what do you think? You say, well, I know what the scripture says. And you can just go to what the Bible says. And you can say it nicely, but you can say it without compromise. Absolutely. People may not always like that. More than you know may respect that. And so we need to make sure that we have put aside all falsehood, regardless of the situation. Sometimes what we do is we, uh, we allow someone else to assume something about us that we know to be untrue. We don't fix it. When I played college ball, which was only one year, I was named, you know, I, I was very fortunate. I was named Rookie of the Year. It was great. Well, there was this guy who knew this about me, and somehow he got it twisted in his mind. And we're talking to another group one day, and he said, yeah, man, this guy Bob, when he played for whatever's college, he said, this guy was All-American. Now, I could have just stayed quiet. Like, yeah, you know, but I, I said, no, no, I was not an All-American, period. None of that. Well, just anyone playing Division I football has got to be pretty good. Well, that's not what I played. It was not Division I, and it wasn't Division II. It was Division Three. I mean, I, you know, it's okay. But you'd be amazed how many times somebody may say something that's a little bit, makes us look a little bit better, maybe intentionally, maybe by mistake, and we just let it go. And I think, especially in the day and age we live in, we, we have to be people who, we have this compulsion. We have to tell the truth. Now, there are times you do have an option. Sometimes you, you just don't have to say anything, depending on the situation. You know, so, you don't, so you don't have to lie, and you don't have to say something that's disgraceful because you have to be a truth-teller. But we need to be known as truth-tellers. So someone says, well, what do you do if you, you, get, you get subpoenaed and you have to go to court? Well, if I go to court, I'm going to tell the truth. But there are times, depending on the situation, I'll say, well, I'm not answering that. And the courts can do whatever they want. I'm not going to lie, but I'm not going to answer that. And because we have to answer to God. But the thing is, is that like, we don't want to be dishonest, Period. I told a lawyer once, he kept bugging me, uh, there was a, an inmate that had come to my dorm, this discipleship I had, he'd been there for about six months, 
And so this lawyer, I guess, was fishing for different things to try to help his client out at um, sentencing. So he just thought it'd be a great idea if uh, I would come and be a, uh, a witness for this guy's character. And, he just, and I said, no, nah. I said, I, I don't do that. And uh, he said, well, if I subpoena you, I have to. I said, you're right, I will. And he kind of had a little smile. I said, but let me tell you in advance what I'm going to say, just so you know. So I want to make it very clear that everybody in the courtroom knows that I never met your client until he got arrested for this. That I didn't know him before. So I would say repeatedly, well, since he's been in jail, he's been this and he's been that. Since he's been in jail, he's, he has come to Bible study. Well, he wasn't really happy with that. He says, well, yeah, but can't you say that he's just been a, a really good guy? I said, I don't know that. What I know is he's been to Bible study. And I will make it very clear about what I know and what I don't know about this individual. And I'm not going to speculate. I never was subpoenaed, so that was good. But the thing is that we need to be honest in that way, and it's, and it's okay. So we want to make sure that someone's mistaken view of us even though it may make us look good, we cannot let them go around and say it. We must correct it. He tells us here that we, we must speak the truth. He is not suggesting that we speak the truth. He is commanding that we speak the truth. Um, this is a present imperative. In other words, it calls for this to be the believer's habitual way of speaking, that we habitually speak the truth. So it's, it's beyond just speaking the gospel, because the gospel is truth, and we are to speak that, period. We must. That's why. Uh, exa- exa- you know, I get a phone call, and this was shortly after you know 9/11, and they were going to have all these clergymen come to the to Hess School, and we were going to all pray because you know we're all coming together. And so I asked the question: When you say clergy, who do you mean? And there's going to be a Muslim imam, and there's going to be a, a Jewish rabbi. And I said, I really appreciate the invitation to come pray. I can't pray at that. And the person said, It's okay. I'm a Christian too. I said, I didn't say that you were a weren't. I can't do that. I said, why? I said, because if I go there to pray, my presence there participating with them looks like I am in agreement with the philosophy that we're all the same. Therefore, our beliefs are all the same, and they're not. I'm not doing that, and I can't. If you want me to come alone, absolutely. I said, and besides, if I ever come at your invitation to pray. I will, but I want you to know that I only pray in the name of Jesus Christ. So you, just, you need to know that up front. I'm not trying to pick a fight, but that's, you know, I'm not going to do some general prayer, you know, oh God who's in heaven, and kind of keep it generic, because I don't do that. I don't think that's biblical. He said, well, thank you for being honest. I said, you're welcome. I never got a call again. And that's okay. It's, it's not a bad thing. Uh, I'm fine with that. But it needs to be a habitual way of speaking, that we speak the truth. It is the action which characterizes our life. But what is interesting is, is he tell, when you look at the verse, he gives us the reason to do this. He says, speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. The reason for telling the truth is because we belong to each other in Christ He urges us to build the body in love, and he urges us to build the body in truth. Speaking the truth in love, and then here, the reason given for speaking the truth, because we're members of one another. We affect one another. We cannot build each other apart from truth. The first sin that was judged publicly in the early church was the sin of lying. We're familiar with that story in Acts chapter 5. 
In expositors, a uh, Greek text says when speaking on this, the reason for this practice of truth, a reason drawn not from the common conceptions of duty or social soundness, but from the profound Christian idea of union one with another through union with Christ. As in the human body, each member is of the other in connection and for the other in service. So in the spiritual body of Christ is the head, the members belong one to another and each serves the other. So because of our union with Christ and because of our connection to each other, we are told to speak the truth wherever we go. Our depending upon each other and trusting each other and growing closer together in Christ is dependent upon us being truth-tellers wherever we are. You do not want to be very close friends with someone who speaks the truth here, but they lie at work. The moment we find out that someone is living that kind of a life, we may not do this physically, but the idea is you want to, take, you want to step away. Well, I didn't know they were like that. It immediately affects the relationship we have with them. Immediately. When you find out someone is that kind of a phony, whether you consciously think of it or not, there are certain things now you're not going to tell them. I don't mean like deep, dark secrets. You may even find it difficult to even ask them to pray for anything. I mean, how do you know you're going to pray? They lie at work. And so we need to make sure that we recognize it. Colossians chapter 3, beginning of verse 8. He says, but now you yourselves are to put off all these, anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, filthy language out of your mouth. Do not lie to one another, since you have put off the old man with his deeds. I even I, I don't think that I'm <clears throat> uh, overly compulsive in this way, but if I am, it's, it's okay. So, so sometimes OCD is okay. So when someone asks me to, it's a very simple request. They ask me to pray. There are times I would say, oh, absolutely, and then I would forget. I intended to do that, but I would forget. That's because I know that I tend to forget. I do think that that can be kind of deceitful. Because I think that there are people who ask me to pray for them, they actually think I'm going to do that. I need to do that. Sometimes what we're guilty of as Christians, if we're honest, sometimes is people will ask us to pray for things, and of course we're not going to say, no, I'm not praying for you. We, we, don't, we haven't really thought about it, but we tell them that we will, but there's really no intention that we're going to. That's not a good thing. So it may be better to say, well, sometimes we'll say that, well, if I remember. So, I, you know, if you call up here and you say, Brother Bob, can you, man, I'm writing it down. I have to because I don't, I want to, if I'm telling them, I'm going to pray. And every time someone says, can you pray? And I'll tell them, say, well, I'm not going to pray that every day, but I'm going to pray for you regularly. I'm going to pray weekly or whatever it happens to be. We need to do this. He tells us this. He tells us to do this. Do not lie to another since you have what? Because you've put off the old man. You've put off the old way of living. you put off the pagan man. You've gotten rid of the dirty clothes. You put him off with his deeds. The deeds here that's being discussed is being dishonest. You put on the new man who is renewed in knowledge according to the image of who created him. So one of the things I need to do as a believer is also to ask God to help me become aware of where I am dishonest. That's what it means. I want to be fully cleansed. I'm forgiven of my sin. The power of sin has been broken, but I want to make sure that I'm living this out. And I know that I'm imperfect, I'm weak in the flesh, and so I'm asking God to show me where I am dishonest so I can fix it, so I can become a truth speaker in everything in my life. And again, the reason is because we have a mutual dependence upon other believers, which forbids all forms of falsehood. 
Let me read to you Psalm 51, 6 very quickly, because there is evidence that we have been purified by Christ. And what Psalm 51, 6 says this, Behold, speaking to God, you desire truth in the innermost being, and in the hidden part you will make me to know wisdom. So there is this desire of God that in the inner man, in the heart, where no one else can see, he expects us to be honest. If you're honest and you're pure there, then what comes out of our mouth is going to be that way. The hidden part, the secret part, the heart, the depths of the soul. The cleansing was to begin in that which was hidden from the eye of man, in the soul itself. Wisdom was to have a seat there. So the cleansing needed was not any mere outward purification. It was the purification of the soul itself. So one of the main ideas that is, that is presented here to us, which we'll see again and again, is that being a Christian in the practical sense of how we live, it's not just about you and I stopping bad things. That's a part of it. But it is about becoming something else. So if we stop lying, that's a good thing, but that is not enough. God wants us to be Truthful in every aspect of life where you must tell the truth. You are compelled to tell the truth, period. The cycle needs to be complete. So again, God is not only interested that we stop doing certain things. Again, he desires that we become truth tellers because we live in the truth. It is more than just what we do and do not do. It is what we are and what we are to become. And that is the freedom that Christ offers us. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you once again for your grace and your kindness and your love. Father, we ask that you would help us to not only examine ourselves, but to examine ourselves in light of the word of God. We pray that your spirit would presently help us with that. And we ask that even if we would fool ourselves into thinking that we are honest in all things, that if there is this impurity in us, we ask, Lord, that you would by your spirit prick our conscience that we will not allow anything to pass as we examine our lives that is dishonest in any way. I pray you help us to desire this, to continue to strive. Again, not because, Lord, somehow you'll like us better. We are already amazed how much you love us because we really do love you. And, and we want to live this way. And, and even in this obedience, we know that this will also bring to us great joy and blessing. And so, Father, we pray that you would help us where we are with the weakest, and that's in our flesh. We pray, Lord, that we would never, never look at this as being just another thing we have to do. That we never view this as another rule that we have to remember. But, Lord, that we would embrace this with all of our heart, mind, and soul. Because we know that it is right. Because it is commanded by you. Because you're going to help us to do this. You will strengthen us to do this. And in becoming this, Father, you will be able to use us. You, we free ourselves up from the bondage that we put ourselves into. That we may be used by you in the lives of those that we may love the most. That there would be no hindrance found in us in them coming to Christ. And so, Father, we ask again that you would purify us, Father, by your word. We do thank you. We thank you, Father, for being forgiving. We depend upon that so desperately. We ask these things in Christ's name. Amen.